Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the LA area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. I pray you are well. In spite of all the things that we've been through in 2020, the Lord is still worthy of our praise. Amen? You know, as I was studying this afternoon, and I wasn't actually going to read part of the Christmas story tonight, but there's something that struck me. So if you turn to Luke 2, Pastor Alex read part of it already. But if you have your Bibles, if you turn to Luke chapter 2, there's a simple thing that I want to draw attention to, because tonight we look at the prophetic hope that we have in Jesus. God spoke, and therefore it is. It's not a guess, it's not possibly, God spoke with certainty, He spoke his promises into our lives so that we would have hope. So that in our dark moments, in those times when things are uncertain, that we could rest and trust in who he is. And remember that there is no uncertainty in the life of a child of God. When we say yes to Jesus, no one can snatch us out of our Father's hands. When we say yes to Jesus, our destination is heaven. When we say yes to Jesus, our lives have been redeemed back from a life of sin and death, and we've been given new life. These things are certainties. They are the prophetic word of God that now exists in our life as truth, and we live out that truth as we walk on this earth. Would you join me? We'll pray. And I want to share part of Luke 2 with you. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you that in the midst of great uncertainty, Lord, in what could certainly be classified as the last days, the end times, the time of your coming may well be near. But Lord, you came the first time so that we would not worry in these times. And we ask God that you'd calm every heart and quiet every mind and help us to focus on you tonight, Jesus. You were and are and always will be the child that was born and the son was given. But you were and are and always will be Savior and Lord and King. And so Savior, Lord, King Jesus, Emmanuel, we've come to worship you tonight. Speak to us as your children, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And it came to pass, now notice what it says, it came to pass, not it might happen. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered and The census 
first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. And all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. That's a certainty, the prophet Micah. There in chapter 5, verse 2 of Micah's prophetic word, said the city that the Savior would be born in was Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and of the lineage of David. Satan had done everything he possibly could to wipe out David's line, and yet David's line still existed. Jesus would be born of David in the city of David because God said so. To be registered with Mary, betrothed to his wife, who was with child. And so it was. Again, no uncertainty there. And so it was. Things were moving as planned. That while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, now there were, again, certainty. These were the messengers that God had sent. People that no one would normally turn to for great news. In that same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And behold, not, well, if you look really hard and you squint over there, behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you. I'm carrying with me a message from heaven. I'm bringing to you the message, the angel said, that was given to me by Father God. And it's a great message. Good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is... Again, notice the certainty of it. Not there might be, not there will be. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe. Again, certainty wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And again, notice the march of the certainty. And so it was that when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Again, God told them. And it was, 
He spoke, and it was existent instantaneously as the Lord said. And they came and with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. And now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning the Christ child. They knew. They'd been told. And what they'd been told came true. There was certainty to that evening. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Absolute certainty. You know, tonight, things in our world are seemingly uncertain. It seems like all of the certainty carpet has been pulled out from underneath most of our existence. But I can tell you there's something that's still certain in our life. And that's Jesus is still Lord. There's certainty to the Savior. That prophetic word that was spoken, we often sing at Christmas time the song, What Child Is This Who Laid to Rest on Mary's Lap Is Sleeping, Whom Angels Greet with Anthem Sweet. You see, that baby was not a baby like any other baby. That baby was heaven's answer to man's problem. And that baby, from God's perspective, was a certainty. No power in heaven, no power on earth could have kept Jesus from being the child who was born and the son who was given. So, who is this child that was told to them, that was shown to them, that was made as a sign to them? Who was it that they saw and who was it that they heard? In other words, the answer to that song, what child is this? The ones that the shepherds watch were keeping. He is Christ the King. Amen? What child is this? That question was answered by the prophet Isaiah. And it was answered almost 700 years before Jesus was born. What child is this? And so our passage for tonight, in light of the certainty of the Christmas story in the Gospels, is found in Isaiah chapter 9. And if you turn there, Isaiah 9, the first six verses. What child is this? The prophetic certainty that we celebrate tonight. Jesus wasn't an afterthought. Jesus wasn't God seeing mankind's condition and thinking to himself, oh no, what do I do now? I guess I better do something about it. No, Jesus was always God's answer. 
The great prophet Isaiah speaking, nevertheless, the gloom will be upon those who are distressed. That's when he first enlightenedly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. So he's speaking to the Jewish people. The Jewish people at this time were under tremendous oppression from the Assyrian army. They were about to go into captivity in Babylon. They would be more heavily oppressed by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan and the Galilee of the Gentiles. Interesting that the Christmas story begins in Nazareth and ends up in Judea and the place in between Galilee and the Sea of Galilee, the Galilee of the Gentiles, is this place where Jesus spent almost the entirety of his time in ministry. It was there that the light went out. It wasn't in Jerusalem. You would have thought that Jesus would have spent the majority of his time ministering in Jerusalem while he was here on earth, but he really didn't. He was there for a very short period of time. Actually, there's fewer than 10 instances in all of the Gospels where we can see different times when Jesus actually went to Galilee or went to Jerusalem. He was always in Galilee. Those people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Guess which light that is? The same light that shone from the baby that was born in Bethlehem, the one to whom the star was pointing, the one that the Magi's visited. The light of the world. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them the light has shined. For you've multiplied the nation and increased her joy, and they rejoice before you as in the joy of the harvest, and men rejoice when they divide spoil. For you've broken the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, and the rod of his oppressor. And of course that applied to Israel, but it applied to you and it applied to me before we met Jesus, didn't it? I was in bondage. I was oppressed. I walked in a shadow of death. There was no light until the light of the world came into my life. And then skip down, if you will, to verse 6, and this is our text. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Both are necessary. Jesus cannot be the God-man if he's not a child who is born, born to Mary and Joseph, conceived of the Holy Spirit, but brought forth just like every other baby that's ever been born. And in Jesus' case, someone ignominious. He was born in a stable, in a barn. He wasn't in one of those $700 strollers that convert into a car seat. He didn't have a down blanket. He, he, he wasn't laid down in the softest of garments and you didn't get those little mittens that they now put on your hands when you're an infant to keep you from scratching yourself. No, he was laid in hay. And he was bound up with what you and I would call burlap. It wasn't some cushy blankie. 
It was a rough night in Bethlehem. But he was born to us. The light of the world was born to you. Born first to Israel. And then to all who would believe in the gospel. But the other part of this is equally important. He was also a son who was given. God's son. This is where John 3.16 comes alive in the Old Testament. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son. That whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That was promised 700 years before Jesus stepped onto this earth as a babe in a manger. And the government will be upon his shoulder. Look, all the things going on in our political world right now, it's pretty tough to try and figure out where the government is right now. I don't think anybody knows where the government is right now in a practical sense. I'm not sure that people even get along with themselves right now in that sense. But I can tell you who actually is in charge of the government. And his name is Jesus. Ultimately, he is going to win out. And his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And to the extent that we align with what he wants, it'll come quicker. And the longer we resist, the longer it's going to take. But make no mistake from God's perspective, ultimately, all human government will rest on the shoulders of King Jesus. They may not know it. They may not think it. They may not know him. They may not honor him. But Jesus is the one true king. Now I want you to notice the promise that was made to you through the prophet Isaiah about this one who would be the child who was born, the son who was given, the one ultimately who is the king. Look at these things. And his name will be called. In the context of the saying, this is who he is. You'll be able to know him by these things. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Remember, as the angel speaks, it's going to go on in verse 30, a little after where we left off in Luke's gospel, but previously in chapter 1, Mary's told, Don't be afraid. You're going to bear a child. His name's going to be, you're going to call him Jesus. Why is that important? Because his name is going to be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But his actual name is Yehoshua. God of Salvation. He would be known as Emmanuel, God with us. 
So who is he to us tonight? Where does our hope really lie? If ultimately all things will rest on him, then who is it upon all things resting? Who is it that those things that we concern ourselves with are actually resting on? Are they really resting on on the Congress? Are they resting on the president? Are they resting on the Supreme Court? Are they resting on NATO? Are they resting on the World Bank or the World Court? What actually is the world going to do? Where does our hope rest? This passage tells us where it rests. Because for those of us who trust in the Lord, we're no longer walking in darkness. For those who trust in the Lord, our gloom is ended. For those who trust in the Lord, there's joy that replaces that gloom. In other words, the gloom can be lifted, the doom can be lifted. The joy can come. For us, we're not groping in darkness like the world does. That's why the Apostle Paul, as he's writing to the church at Corinth there in 2 Corinthians 4, said, God said, let the light shine out of darkness, and the one who's shown in our hearts would give us the light of knowledge of the glory of God. And church tonight, we're here to celebrate the one who's still glorious. He's still able. He's still king. No virus can stop him. No mask can stop our praise. Doesn't matter where we meet, the king is still worthy. He still sits on the throne of heaven. And one day he's coming back. And maybe for some of you tonight, I'm speaking to you because your life seems gloomy. I'm asking you for a moment to just stop and consider who Jesus really is. Because in spite of all we're going through, he does have this fully under control. We do have hope instead of the oppressive things that are going on. Clay and I were kind of cracking up on the way we drove in together tonight and we're, we're listening. And, and I got to tell you, I, I'm, I'm, when it comes to Christmas music, I'm a purist. Okay? So don't mess with Oh Holy Night. <laughs> just, just don't do that. It, it belongs Oh Holy Night. And, you know, that's in my thinking. Of course, I'm not, if you happen to like it in some other version, God bless you. But I'm a purist when it comes to those things. And I'm kind of like, oh, that's good. And I found myself as like, oh man, I'm getting, I'm getting bummed out because they changed the, you know, the timing. It's now, you know, 4-4 four, four on the floor, something going on here. It's like, man, I'm messing with Christmas. And if your Christmas gets messed up because of the tune that you're listening to, there's something wrong. 
Because it's not about that. It's about the one that the song is written about. Amen? It's about the king. The babe in a manger. Isaiah understood that. There's hope in Jesus instead of the war that was going on during Isaiah's time. There's hope instead of the war that's going on in our hearts and our minds right now. No matter what happens, even if there's a literal war, there's still hope in Jesus. Romans chapter 1 actually paints the picture of this hope. It was promised beforehand through his prophets by the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was born a descendant of David according to the flesh, declared the son of God by the power of the resurrection of the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's who he is, church. That's who he's always been. Why can we have hope tonight? Because scripture plainly points us towards hope. And of all times, tonight, as we look forward to celebrating the Lord's birth tomorrow, we should have tremendous hope. Because our future is still bright. Our destination is still heaven. The glorious life that we live on this earth will culminate with the glory-filled life in heaven. So when you put your hope and your faith and your trust in that babe in a manger, there's some amazing blessings that come to you. Those blessings are so numerous that if we spent the rest of the evening, we didn't go home tonight. And we just started to recount the blessings that we have in Christ. We're not getting done before tomorrow. It's not going to happen. And maybe tonight you're you're confused. Maybe tonight you feel like wisdom has left our country. Maybe tonight you're looking at the hectic things going on in a very angry world. Perhaps you're carrying a burden that seems too heavy. Maybe you tonight feel like an orphan. Maybe... You are like the shepherds in the field and no one cares. Maybe there's a storm in your life and insecurity has gripped you. Perhaps the economy and all of the stuff that's going on in Congress and the lack of unemployment benefits and everything else has just gotten a hold of you. And those things are certainly understandable. They're certainly understandable, but they're not your end in Jesus. And so what did Jesus say through the prophet Isaiah? When you hope in Jesus, you have a wonderful counselor. You have somebody that you can turn to. Look, you can't turn to the news right now. If you're turning to the news to get refreshed, shame on you. You're not even necessarily going to get information that's valuable. You have a wonderful counselor, and that is where you need to turn. 
In times of uncertainty, we turn to the one who is certain. And that's why I focused on the certainty of the Christmas story. It was told to them. It happened. It wasn't some divine mystery that needed you to unfold it. You could go see him. You could touch him. He ate with the disciples. Even after his crucifixion, he was seen by hundreds of people alive. He alone is worthy of our trust. And I don't know about you, but I need wisdom right now. And Jesus doesn't blow it. Jesus doesn't burn out. But you have to humble your heart. You have to turn to him. You got to go where the answers are. If you lose wonder, you lose the wonderful counselor. And so I want to just encourage you. Turn to him. Rest in him. Trust in him. Talk to him. He knows what you need. But you got to ask. If you're hoping in Jesus tonight, then you have a mighty God. Can I tell you he's still El Gabor, the hero God, the mighty God? He's still El Shaddai, the all-powerful one. He hasn't lost any of his power. I was talking with a guy via email today, and he was just beside himself. And frankly, I understand why. There's no question that there are things going on in our world where it's like, God, where are you? Can you really do anything about this? Both he and his wife had lost their jobs. And they're wondering what's going to happen. They don't know how they're going to pay their rent. Wondering where food was going to come from. By the way, we took care of that, so that's not an issue anymore. But they were asking the question and looking for answers in a place that they can't get any answers. Because I guarantee if you dial up Washington right now, you're you're not going to get an answer to when this pandemic is going to end. You're not going to get an answer to when the check is going to come in the mail. It's not going to happen. Not saying it won't happen at all, but they don't know when it's coming. They don't know how much it's going to be. The only thing certain in our world is that things are uncertain. But when you turn to Jesus, you have a mighty God who's able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that you can ask or think. Right now. In the face of what you're faced with. It seems like it it just doesn't have a solution, but it does. If you're turning to mighty God, mighty God is mighty still. He's not sitting around going, wow, I just, I had no idea. I mean, that's just, 
$1.9 trillion, I have no idea where that's coming from. You think God cares about our monetary system? He owns the whole world. Everything on it and everyone in it. He's not short. God doesn't do what you and I do. He wakes up in the morning, goes and checks his ATM balance to see if he can pay his bills. He's still mighty God. But are you turning to mighty God? Because that babe in the major was mighty God. When you hope in Jesus, the one that Isaiah spoke of, the one that scriptures portray as being the king of kings and lord of lords, the great I am, the lion of the tribe of Judah, savior, Lord, mighty God, coming king. He's still the father of eternity. I don't know how many of you can relate to this or not, but I have begun to feel my age. My age talks to me now. And I can tell you something about my body. It's not eternal. No, it's not. In fact, it's very temporal. Now, when you were young, you kind of thought perhaps it was eternal. And you wrote checks with your body that now you understood you cannot cash. And so you no longer jump out of bed ready to greet the morning. You roll out of bed hoping there is carpet to land on. You know what I'm saying? Aren't you glad that you're not going to spend eternity in this? Jesus is the father of eternity. And he's not sending you off into eternity in a broken, messed up tent. You're getting a new mansion. You're getting a new home. The disciples asked Jesus, well, what kind of body will we have? The apostle Paul answered that question. When we get there, we're going to be as he is. Jesus didn't just promise us eternal life as in salvation. He promised us eternal life. Life forever. Glorious life. Wonderful life. Life everlasting. But sometimes we look at our world and we go, man, this world has failed us. You know, I spent all these years doing all these things, working all this time, and it's like, and now I, I was kind of hoping I'd be able to do a handful of things when I got older, and now you're hoping you can tie shoes without one of those grabby thingies. <laughs> I never understood why my dad bought Velcro shoes. I get it. Didn't understand the leisure suit. I get it. Why do people live in sweats? I get it. <laughs> I'm... I am so glad that Jesus is the father of eternity. 
Because this earthly travail one day is going to be over. We're going to exit this world and we're going to be ushered into the new one, the next one. And you may feel like an orphan in this world. You may feel disenfranchised. You may feel abused in this world. You may feel like you don't have a father. You may not have a father in this world. But you have an everlasting father who loves you and is going to take you home. Amen? That's who Jesus is. He's not going to biff it. And you're not going to need Velcro shoes when you get there. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. You're not going to wake up and find that your life has been altered forever. You're going to be forever altered in new life. When you hope in Jesus, you have a prince of peace to guide you. I, again, I don't know if you're doing this or not, but I am, I'm stopping at green lights now. Because people are nuts. They have lost their collective minds right now driving. I've watched people run stone red lights from 200 yards away. It's just like, right on, I'm going through. I've watched people stop at perfectly good green lights and I realized it was me. I've pulled into parking lots and watched people yell at each other over a parking space because the guy got out of his car without a mask on. Then I've watched people yell at somebody else because they had a mask on. Like, oh man, what, you don't have any faith? <laughs> yeah, I got faith, just not in you, buddy. <laughs> man, our world is not peaceful right now, is it? But Jesus told his disciples, my peace I give you. Not as the world do I give you peace, I give you my peace. And it's a different kind of peace. It's a peace in the storm, it's a peace in the battle. It, it's a peace when things are difficult and a peace when things are good because he is the prince of peace. That's the hope that we have. You can't have that peace any other way. There isn't any peace. If you're looking to the solutions this world has to offer, there's no peace. I was, I was listening to a, a number of epidemiologists and really brilliant scientists debate today on, on the vaccines. And they're, yeah, well, it's mutating and it's doing this. Man, if you listen to those guys, it's like you want to throw your hands up in the air. Well, is the vaccine going to work or not? And of course, at the end, they said, yeah, it's still going to work even on all these new strains. It'll be fine. And the, but it's like they did everything they could to work people into a frenzy over the possibility that it might not work before they said, well, we think it'll work. There's no peace. We, we just moved a <laughs> ballistic missile submarine into the Persian Gulf. An aircraft carrier battle group, two guided missile cruisers. Like, eh, we normally don't put ships like that in harm's way. So he said, oh, I don't, what's going to happen? I'm not sure. 
But Jesus is still the Prince of Peace. He's always going to be the Prince of Peace. And no matter what happens, he's still going to be the Prince of Peace. That's why Paul could write what he wrote to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 4, be anxious for nothing. In other words, don't carry around any anxiousness. But by prayer and through supplication, make your request known to God and then let the peace of God guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Amen? That's because he's the Prince of Peace. You can go to him when things are rough. Go to the Prince of Peace. That's where your hope is. That's where my hope is. So what kind of hope do we have tonight? We have the hope that came through Jesus. The hope that we celebrate is, is a permanent hope that is guaranteed to everyone. Everyone who professes him as Savior and Lord. The hope of the light of the world. That's the hope we have. That's the hope we cling to. You see, the Bible tells us of a different kind of hope. It's not the hope that people express to me often. Why? I have wishful thinking that it'll be okay. No, the hope that we have is the hope of the certainty of the Christmas story. Go view him. You will find him. He is there. There is no doubt about the certainty of the hope of Jesus. I want to let you know, here in about five minutes or so, we are going to be turning out all the lights. So now would be a really good time for you to try and find those candles that you were given when you came in. So that you have them with you. Because that hope is the hope of the light of the world. It's the hope that came so that all could see. It was the hope that the disciples were told, don't hide your light under a bushel basket. Place it on a lampstand where everyone can see it. It's visible hope, and that hope is visible in you guys, in the church. It's visible in you, in Christ in you, which is our hope of glory. You see, in that sense, the Christmas story is a story of the hope of a brighter future. Better days. An end to the wars. An end to the struggling and the problems. The true Christmas story is the light that was in that manger on Christmas Day, the first Christmas Day, that became the light to the Gentiles as Jesus worked through his time in ministry in the region of Galilee. That light that would eventually make its way to Jerusalem, that Jesus would stand 
on the steps of the temple and say, I am the light of the world. It's me. How should we respond to that? If you look in the Christmas story, it's filled with praise and it's filled with worship. It's filled with wonder. Mary is like her soul magnifies the Lord. Simeon takes up baby Jesus ultimately and praises God. A whole heavenly host of angels comes from heaven and they praise God in the highest. The shepherds in our story in Luke 2 tonight returned back to their fields and they're just praising Jesus. Ultimately, the magi come. They praise the Lord. You see, in all of these things, we see the same thing. There's worship. There's praise. There's adoration. There's the people of God honoring who Jesus is. It's like, Lord, you are the counsel that I need. Lord, you are the power I need. Lord, you are the one who holds all this together. You are the everlasting Father. You're not going to abandon me. You're not going to desert me. You're the Prince of Peace. You have this completely under control. The world looks like it's flying apart, but not from Jesus' vantage point. He's got a plan. How do we respond? What do we say? What do we do? I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up at this time. And we're going to turn out the lights. And I want you to kind of experience the darkness. Because that's how the world is without Jesus. That's how the world is without Jesus. It's dark. It's not fun. John's gospel actually begins with, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And this man came as a witness to bear witness of the light that through him all might believe. And John said he was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. And that light was the true light that gives light to every man. You see, even the great John the Baptist who would ultimately be beheaded understood that he needed something more than what the world could offer. And by the time Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount, he says to the disciples, now you are the light of the world. Now why would he say that? Why is it that 
the light of the world would in essence shift away from Jesus, though he was still the light himself. Why, why is it that Jesus would say that? Why, why would he say you, you can't hide that light under a bushel basket? Why would he tell them, so let your light shine before men? everyone who sees it would see those good works and glorify your Father. Why would Jesus say that? It's actually very simple. He was leaving. He was going back to heaven. And tonight he's been gone for about 2,000 years. Oh, he's still the light of the world. But he transferred that light. He took that hope and he placed it into his church, into his people, into you, into me. And he said, you guys need to take the light. You guys need to shine. that's still our mission. That's still what we're actually about. And in a very similar way, what we're going to do now is Jesus himself was the light of the world. And so in that sense, he's the one candle. He's the beginning of the light. He was the one that John the Baptist spoke about. He he was the one that provided the light, in essence, for everyone else's candle. Without him, there's no light in any of us. We would have still been walking in darkness, but we've seen the marvelous light. And so when he went back to Jerusalem and though he said, I'm the light of the world, he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. That's the light that's in you. That's the light that's in me. And so much as the gospel started, and we're not fully certain which one of the disciples was the exact first one, Probably Peter, James, John. But it started with somebody. Somebody said yes first. And it was from there that they shared the light with somebody else. And then they would share it with their neighbor. And it was from there that the gospel went forth into all the world, that the light itself was the light of men. It became man's job, if you will, to finally take the light where it needed to go. And as the light begins to go around throughout the sanctuary, this outdoor sanctuary, as you see it begin to spread, you see at first it was just a handful of disciples. 
You know, it wasn't like they had television. They didn't have the internet. They didn't even have Bibles. They just had the light. And so they shared the light. And the light went forth. And while it began in the Galilee of the Gentiles, it eventually went to Judea and Samaria. It went forth into the hinterlands, the regions around. It did make it to Jerusalem. In fact, the first church was the Church of Jerusalem. First organized group of believers. And then the light boarded a ship and headed out across the Mediterranean, across the Adriatic and the Aegean Seas. It made it to Pergamum, Thyatira, made it to Macedonia finally even to the seat of the oppressive government of Rome that light went everywhere just like it went everywhere tonight it's still going everywhere it's still got places to go It's got countries that need Jesus. You have neighbors that need Jesus. You may have family that still need Jesus. You see, tonight is still about the light of the world. It's still about the wonderful counselor. It's still about the mighty God. It's still about our everlasting Father and it's still about our Prince of Peace. It's still about the child who was born and the son who was given. It's still about Jesus. And it's not ever going to be about something else in that sense. I want you to stand right now if you would. first night was probably anything but silent. But let's sing that song together. Silent night, holy night. Because it's still holy.
that song was written in a little tiny chapel on a road in Austria, just to the east of the town of Salzburg. Joseph Moore wrote the poem. Franz Gruber wrote the lyrics. And it was actually on a Christmas night. They were going to do a Christmas mass. and They didn't have any music for that evening, so they wrote that song. Performed it for the first time. It's become the number one Christmas song of all time. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. That's a truth. He's still the light. He's still the wonderful counselor. He's still mighty God. He's still our everlasting Father and our Prince of Peace. He's still the only name under heaven whereby men must be saved. He's still the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by Him. is the reason for the season. He's still why we celebrate Christmas and he's still worthy of our praise. In all the hustle and bustle tomorrow and all the craziness of our world, let's remember who we are. Jesus said to the disciples, you are the light of the world. So go shine your lights. Go let people see who Jesus is because they got to talk to you. That's your task. One day we're going to make it to heaven, that's for sure. But in the meantime, let's see how many people we can take with us. Let's be faithful to that call Let's not put our light under a bushel basket, not at work, not at school, not at leisure time, because people are still walking in darkness exactly as Isaiah pictured it long before Jesus came. It's the light that can change people's lives. It's the light that shined in ours. So let's shine that light for the whole world to see. Father, we thank you tonight for sending Jesus. Lord Jesus, what you gave up to come to this earth. The glories of heaven. The heavenly host praising you came and you were born in a manger wrapped in burlap cloths put in an animal feet trough but that star that was shining that directed the shepherds and the magi is still shining in us 
help us to shine brightly for you. We love you. We adore you. We praise you, King Jesus. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.